0: Are you a business owner, entrepreneur, or executive who's working hard at living a good story? What if you can start living a better one? Welcome to Living a Better Story, a podcast that goes deep and clears away the good so that you can be great. Hosted by Chad Burmeister and Rich Blakeman, we get you into alignment with your God-given purpose here on planet Earth. Don't settle, a better story is waiting for you to invest in yourself and living a better story.
1: Hey, everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the Living Better Story podcast. Today, I've got a a guest with me from Atlanta, and he has been with Showcase IDX as the CMO, which is a subsidiary of EXP World Holdings, where he's the VP of Marketing. So I think this is a first where I've met somebody holding two titles. I guess it's like in the UFC when you hold the middleweight and the welterweight all in one. So anyway, let's dig in. Kurt, welcome to the show.
2: And thanks for having me,
1: Chad. Kurt. Uhler, is that how I say your last name
2: properly? Uhler, Uller. however you say it, it's great for me. So. Uhler, Uller. It, it's, te- it, you know, I say Uller, but but as those that have worked for me out of Europe, I can't pronounce my own name the way it's supposed to be said, so I'll take it however people say
1: it. <laughs> Got it. Awesome. Well, it's a cool last name. Um, thank you for joining today. Tell us a little bit more about what the role you're in now. Like What, what are you doing at your company before we drive into the other side of what we're going to talk about today?
2: So at Showcase IDX, we provide that that home search that you see on real estate agent and brokerage's websites. And so people search for home on big portals. Uh, You imagine it costs tens of millions of dollars to pull in all the data and and create the tools. We provide that as a simple, uh, you know, WordPress plugin with a SaaS backend for real estate agents so that, you know, you don't, you don't want a competitive agent calling your clients. And so you want them to have that good experience on your website. That's what we do for them at Showcase IDX. And uh, similar to that for EXP World Holdings, uh, I do a lot of strategic growth for them, including running their national portals and other uh, areas of growth for them.
1: Got it. Excellent. So this is interesting because a lot of folks that have come on my shows are are on the sales side. And so I would say it's probably 10 to 20% marketing. So I'm going to be real curious to understand some of your passions when you were younger and how that led you to the marketing role. Because my major in college was marketing, but then yeah. I went into the sales side and that's where I stayed for the rest of my career.
2: I, I think you have to have, to, to be good at both, you have to have a little bit of, uh, of, of you know bloodletting on the other side of, that, uh, of each of that a little bit. So um, yeah, so I mean, when I was earlier, it was like, I don't know. I, I've always been been imaginative. I've always kind of wanted to sell and tell stories. And so you get that in sales or marketing, but like when I was a kid, it's like, I spent so much time doing things like, you know, my, when my parents let me outdoors, it was a different time. You know, at six years old, my my parents have turned me loose in a little, in a little boat by myself on a Lake in you know, Northern Michigan for all, all daylight hours and let me go out kind of catching turtles, but you still have to come home. And it's like, when we were at our main home in Chicago, um you know i was that imagination kid and so everything i did involved imagination so every other people wanted to build models and it's like take stickers and make all the planes look good i wanted the leftover parts from the stickers because i i would take the i would take what was left and i'd put up put up the the you know almost the the shrapnel from the stickers put them on my walls to turn my bedroom into a, a spaceship that would you know let me fly off through instrument panels you know through through the cosmos and so You know, that was all about telling stories and looking for ways to help people go on adventures, which fits very much into marketing and telling stories and a story arc that starts somewhere and carries a sales lead through until they've been a happy customer, hopefully for many years. I love it.
1: Well, I've heard that a lot, especially with, you know, folks that are kind of in in my level of experience. I'll keep it at that. they've been able to say hey I went out for the whole day you know and yeah. sunburn and all that and then you know you're out on the lake by yourself or with a friend or something. Um, when we lived in North Carolina our kids did that you know they'd leave for four or five hours at a time but it's definitely those times are
2: changing a little bit it feels. Yeah like. yeah I can, I have a two-year-old I couldn't even imagine doing that in a couple of years just being like no no go on I'll, I'll, I'll holler when I need you. Yeah, that's right. Well, you could
1: just send them a text nowadays, but and <laughs> geocode their phone so you know exactly where they are.
2: True. <laughs> sure. Even at two, he knows how to turn on a, a tablet himself and choose a show.
1: Wow. That's amazing. So if you think about what you did then and, and, you know, wandered off out on the lake, and that was Lake Michigan, I assume. Is that the, uh, actually,
2: it was a smaller lake in Colon, Michigan. It was about, I mean, uh, you know, it was a vacation property for us, but it was about, population of about 250 so one of the many small micro lakes in michigan got
1: it yeah there are hundreds of micro yeah
2: make,
1: right yeah that's cool so so how does that you know taking the the scraps of the stickers like you said how does that apply to what you're doing now
2: and at some degree it's like when i look back at it so much of what I, I you know the companies i gravitate to the people that i advise or sit on boards for um very much when i was younger it's like the stories i came up with is oh you know you you always kind of want to be this, you know, superhero, but it's often the sidekick. And so I I always found that I was when I was younger, I was I was creating stories where you helped and you know you helped the underdog kind of succeed. And that's so much of what I kind of do marketing-wise now. I mean, I've I've helped I've helped small companies, you know, um, you know, usually as an advisor, I've I've sat in and helped to grow a lot of seven and eight figure business a uh, year uh, business companies. But usually even then I'll come in like I am now to a company who's a public company, but there's a much larger like behemoth that's out there and so yeah it may be a multi-billion dollar company at different times but it's like they're the underdog and so I found that you know when I was a kid I I, I told stories about how did you help the underdog win and overcome something and and now when I look back it's like I really end up kind of looking at things like yeah we 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 were able to do something that everybody else said was impossible Um, some cases the team some cases the product but it was almost always you know insurmountable odds that, you know, just as a spaceship, you played as a kid. um, That's what you kind of do as a company and you just have a team. And instead of just me making up things, I I have a, a big team that gets to help me with that now.
1: Wow. I love that. It reminds me of at WebEx before the Cisco acquisition, we had a manager offsite at a hotel in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we had, we had chips that we were able to bet on the op, the ideas that all the managers came up with. And so what they showed some videos of going around the moon and coming back to earth and they didn't have enough gas yeah. tank to get back. And so they had to get the slingshot built to be able to come back around the earth. And so they kind of gave that story of how are we ever going to get the $500 million this year? yeah, <laughs> And yet we're going to do it. And so we did that and we were the underdog Microsoft had bought Placeware, and they were right. starting to gain some ground. And, and then we ended up, you know, we killed it and crushed the numbers
2: and were purchased by Cisco <laughs>
1: within a year of that meeting, um, at $57 a share from $12 a share. So, yeah, crazy.
2: I mean, you gotta take, you gotta take bets. And I mean, in the end, you know, the underdog doesn't win by just playing it safe. And, you know, innovation doesn't happen from doing the same, th- you don't, you don't grow by 10 X or 50 X by doing, you know, by taking a path about how do we grow by 20% this year? Like they're just completely different ways of thinking.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: so uh, Very much like a six-year-old playing, you know, playing space.
1: I love the strategic mindset because I can just hear that. Um, one thing that everybody on the show shares is it's not always roses along the way. <laughs> we all run into these mountains that at the time feel like they're insurmountable. And so somebody listening to this might be like, you don't understand. I'm in that mountain right now. Um, is there something that you're comfortable sharing that you said, you know what, that sucked at the time, and yet now on the other side of it, you know, all is good, and you're you're actually looking back, it was good that you went through that.
2: What yeah, that? Um, without throwing any any individual in the, under the bus, um, I I've made the same mistake, you know, a few too many times, um, and so and and that mistake generally came down to um, you know, and the most painful memories. Where you're right, I've learned a lot going through it, but. When I chose an employee, I chose to bring somebody or a business partner even, you know, alongside of me or under me, where at the time, like I knew, in some cases there was at least a yellow, there may not have been a red flag, but there was at least a strong yellow flag where, I should have, I should have questioned their moral, their their morals, their character. And but I was blindsided by the potential benefit of working with them. Either the time to getting something or wow, this person's really great at this part of sales, and that's what I need mean now. They're right in front of me. And inevitably, whenever I had that feeling, um, it may not have been the exact the exact thing I saw come out in the same character moral ways, but hands down, the, the times I've made those decisions, the partner, the team leads, um, I look back and I'm like, they were exactly who I thought that they were, who they showed me in, in discussions that they were. And I, I, I like kind of greed get ahead of me because I wanted to move faster versus, um, you know, not choose that person, not have somebody in the role right then. And, um, you know, at, at the end, you know, like I, I'm a firm believer now that I look back and it's like, I've been really successful. And which is great I have great teams but I understand too that the ends the ends never justifies the means and so even if I would have been successful with those with those people I would not have felt good about it and so now you know my teams are also different I have people coming to me that want to work for me at the company that we're at now with what we're trying to do because they're like hey hey we did this before or you worked with one of my friends I just brought somebody on that somebody I know in the community um, thought highly enough about me to reach out and be like I know you just took a role, but you need to go work for Kerr. And 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 two months after a role that they were in, they've now joined the team. And that's only because I've really I learned from the past and pivoted. So
1: yes, that's killer. I remember again at the WebEx, you know, I don't know why two, two times WebEx came up today, but one of my mentors, I I had this candidate who was like, I know he's going to crush his quota. He'll yeah. do 200 percent And and I'm like, but I have some concerns. And he, the, the mentor from ADP, he had spent a lot of time at ADP. And he said, hire him. Your job is the manager. You need to manage through the HR issues. And so I did it. And it it turned out this individual did overperform and even stayed a long time. So
2: yeah.
1: he, however, there was a few things that occurred over the years that were like, hmm, that's not okay. Yeah. And, it, it, and I still am on the fence about that decision. Yeah. You know?
2: Well, and it's one of the things it's like, you know, You know, you can you can pick up and you can play with a poisonous snake. If you don't get bit, somebody else might. And so I I tried taking the thing and and having having seen the same thing. Some cases it was the the person didn't perform or something that hurt me. Some cases that hurt the person hurt somebody else on the team um, in some way or just throw them under the bus. Might not even been anything, you know, more than that. And I look at it. I'm like, yeah, I really like to be able to look back, whether my personal life or my business decisions. And I said, I have a two-year-old now, I've got a wife. If, if they knew every decision that I made and what was in my mind when I made it, would I still feel comfortable with that? And when I look back at the situations where I got really burned or I saw somebody get burned, no, if they knew what I was questioning at the time, I don't think I would have been okay. I don't think I could have explained to my two-year-old when he's 16, when he's 26 in the future, hey, your dad made this decision and, it, and I was completely comfortable with it. I, I think it would be self-evident then.
1: I I should have not, not have made that choice. Well, it turns out there's, there's usually not just a black or white answer on questions that we have. Right. We make the right decision at the time that we make it based on the cards that we have at the time in our life. So it's always interesting to look back and hindsight's 2020, but yeah, I'm a lot better
2: now based on the, the, the painful mistakes I've made before.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what, what, what is, what are you passionate about now? Like, what's the, the thing that you really, cause you've got two roles. So, you know, what, what gets you excited in the morning?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been successful enough uh, repeatedly in things where it's kind of those things where I had a mentor and now a friend ask me, you know, like, Hey, if you hit your magic number what, you know, what would you do? She was, she was wanting to make sure she wouldn't make introductions. If I was going to check out at some point, you know, and just go sit on a beach, um, and so one I would get bored, like you can only do that for so long. But uh, what really gets me passionate is helping men and women truly become successful at work and home. And usually like even people that come to work for you, it may be all about work, but I mean, I've, I've led teams myself where, you know, I, I kind of joke, I was like, I was the leader for, for multiple years at a company we took public and later had a $8 billion acquisition at that. If the whole, te- if one person on the team um, tried, I was a bad boss. If the whole team cried or multiple people, it mean, I just dialed it to 11. I needed to come back just a little bit. I can't imagine what turmoil that caused in people's lives. So I may have made people successful at work, but there's no way I I was helping them be successful in their lives overall. And so that's a real passion of mine now is helping people figure out like, Hey, you don't have to burn out at work. You can, you you can, you know, you don't need to leave a wake of destruction behind you. You can end up finding a way to, 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 develop the skills and gifts that you have and, you know, learn how to be stewards of your money, your time, your skills at work, and then figure out if you want to do something in your personal life, which you never have to tell me about. But inevitably, I found out over the last, you know, five or six years, especially people come back to me since I had this big change at work. And they're like, hey, you didn't realize this, but this is what happened in my personal life. This is what happened with an organization I was helping outside of work because we changed how we were doing things in the office.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's cool. It, it it is much more fun connecting with people on a on their lives not just their work lives yeah it seems it seems the last year and a half allowed us to do that a little more too in, in zoom meetings because now you're at home you're not in it yeah. in a lot of ways
2: yeah and so many and so it, it it did force so much personal just into people's lives and things that they should have realized before. I mean a lot of leaders you know they you burn through really good people not because you were even intending to. Like in, in the past, I actually intended to. I was just a bad boss. But a lot of people just they weren't they weren't awake enough to realize. God, there's a fostering issue going on at home. There's an elder care issue. There's a sick kid at home. A sick spouse and going through cancer or something. And it's like no, like you should be really aware of, the, of that those things are going on and 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 be there for people. It's like hey, I'm bringing on people on my team now that like like we're, we're gonna we're gonna triple again in team size very quickly. And it's like, people I have now, I hope I can promote and keep having them grow as leaders. So I don't want to burn them out, no matter whether it's work or something personal happens that I may not be aware of. I need them on my team in two and three years, because I tell them every day, we're doing nothing but picking up momentum. And so I need you involved, and I need you here to be able to do that. And so whether you burn out from work or you burn out because you have an elder care issue that you didn't feel comfortable bringing up, the only way they're still going to be here contributing in two years is if we help them through the situation now.
1: Yeah, I was actually in Atlanta uh, last week, 30 minutes north of Atlanta, and I'm not going to remember the name of the town. Really cool looking t- old town when you drive through this, and we, yeah. we had you know, dinner on a balcony at, at a restaurant. And we talked about, uh, they actually had a meeting with about 10 different executives from t- big companies, 420 yeah. branches around the world, etc. And they talked about the challenge in a post-pandemic world is yeah. that employees are generally saying, hey, we want to work from home five days a week, in some cases two, in some cases three, but nobody wants to come back to the office 100%. Yeah. So there was interesting perspective shared about, okay, what do you do, right? It There's been a little bit coming out of New York. I think there was some controversy a, a, a little bit ago. And they said, well, hey, if you're going to work in New York, we pay you a New York salary. If you're going to work out of Omaha, you're making an Omaha salary. And there's a lot of, yeah. Interesting discussions coming up now. Um, what are your thoughts on work from home versus work in an office now that everybody's worked in, at home for so long?
2: It's shifted. I mean, the tools are different. How you lead are different, but, but it's also, um, I mean, our, our company at, at eXp, Exp's before, well before COVID, they've never had offices, so it's entirely remote. They were committed enough before we, uh, before our company joined them, that they bought a 3D environment company called Verbella. So, like, I have an avatar with an office. So when I meet with people within uh, Exp, I my avatar goes and shows up. And so whether the person's in San Francisco or they're in Toronto, we meet in that world, and like at first I thought it was going to be a little bit weird, but you know, I've been in there for nine months now. And by all means, I love workplace chat. I love zoom things where, you know, I get to see some of my team face to face, but you, you lose the serendipity. And so I, I, I do think, especially top performers, Hey, you can't bring me back in an office. I want to see people. I love people. I want to be around my team a couple of times a year. I think that's important, but if you made me come in an office five days a week, that's never going to happen. But chat doesn't work the same way scheduled zoom meeting doesn't seem to work the same way for serendipitous conversations. But when I'm in a 3d world and there's other things that are like that out there, you feel much more comfortable popping in and having a conversation where you might feel a little bit weird, but you might feel like you're butting in by popping up on a video chat to me, like that's got to be scheduled. So I have much more casual conversations. I can coach much more. I'll work in an office, somebody, and share my screen on one side of the virtual office, and they share their screen on the other. And, and that's how we work for hours together pairing, just like we would if we were sitting side by side in an office. I think companies will have to continue to embrace things like that um, to, to really make this work everywhere. Because top performers, good luck bringing a lot of them back in the office. And on people that you know are on the lower end of the performance side, they do need to they be, they need to sit alongside of others, sometimes just for their own daily motivation level, which is fine. So just how do we do that? And, you know, slack isn't going to cut it.
1: And that is what seemed to come out of the conversation is that seasoned vets that have 10, 20 years experience. Hey, by all means, let's have you come in once a week or once a quarter for that matter. You're hitting your number, you're doing your work. It's fine. The junior entry-level folks that are like, hey, I want to do that too, and they only have three months in a business setting ever. Yeah. You're going to set them up to fail and you up to fail, and the churn's already thirty percent in an office outside an office with two junior people. Uh, they thought that that could lead to some negative turnover situations.
2: I think it could, but it's it's also how you manage, and so I mean, there's a lot of things. It's you know, it's it's always difficult to be a, a you know a, a good team leader it's a lot easier to hide, uh, to, to hide in some bad leadership ex- things when you're in person, because you can always walk over to somebody. And so, um, I mean, I'm having to pick up and change my style. I mean, I'm the, I'm the person who likes, used to like to walk into your office and just like randomly and have conversations like, what otherwise could be a short email. I wanted to see your face. I wanted to see where you stressed. Let me, that helped me less, Help me let, let me ask questions about, was something going on at home? That you have to have different tools and, a, you know, Slack or videos just don't always work for that. Um, I'm much more intentional with one-on-ones than I ever was. And so it's a change, but like, you know, literally like for all of my teams, you can find the, the cultural things that, that, that we manage to, like I want extreme accountability. That applies to me as much as a junior employee that's three months in the workforce. Like, Hey, we use Trello. Here's what's being worked on. I want to interact asynchronously. I get to see things that's going on and you get to see what I'm working on. And so I think a lot of times you pick up, you, you, I at least learned from those more senior than me, those much you know, where you and I are now, I thought I was working hard when I was 24. And then I would sit alongside Judson Green, who was CFO of Disney, CEO at our, the company we took public. And I realized he got more done in two hours than I got done all day and not just value wise. He would send that many more emails, that many more meetings, that much more like spreadsheet he could work through. And I was like, okay, this 24 year olds not as good as he thought he was because like the old timer Judson's killing me here. But because he invited me into sit alongside him, you can do that virtually as well as you can in person. You just have to be transparent about yourself.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's cool. It's all relative.
2: Yeah. Um. And trying things and being okay failing.
1: Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, it's interesting. Virtual assistants is kind of our new thing at my day job, Scalex, and so you know you can have two, three virtual assistants doing outreach for you, and ninety eight point five percent of the messages can be handled now by AI because it can be programmed. And so you know, until my calendar gets overflowing with podcasts and meetings with prospects and 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 investors, whatever, then. I need to add another virtual assistant. And, and it's interesting how that's going to change how people scale the work. Oh, absolutely. Um, tell me a little bit about your keynote. So I, I, I understand you've done some talking about servant leadership and, and you know, lead from the front. Um, and, and I think in today's world, I mean, it's funny. I'm sure if you play a tape from 500 years ago, it also stood up then too, but it seems like it's far more important than ever before. Tell me a little bit about why you think servant leadership is, is the way to go when it comes to leading organization.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big proponent of uh, servant leadership, but I, I even couch it a little more by adding like it's high achieving servant leadership. And and part of the reason for that is there's a lot of books about servant leadership out there. And so what, what's different when I come in and give keynotes, when I give workshops to play uh, at companies is a lot of the books that people have read like servant leadership it's more of here's how you should lead here's how you should lead from the front and it's a little bit more sometimes they're from a faith background some cases it's just a different moral or worldview but it's like this is the right way to to kind of lead a company a good person would want to lead this way and that's i mean that's great and i agree with all those things but there's very few books there's only like i'd say one and a half books where i'd look at it and go if you if anybody read the book somebody who never heard of servant leadership somebody that was a bad boss maybe one and a half books where somebody would read that and go, okay, I'm going to change how I lead my company because this tells me the best way to grow my company uh, and and and, and be, uh, find productivity is by uh, high achieving servant leadership. And so that's a little bit where I kind of talk about things together. The, the book that does this at least really well is Cheryl Backelder's Book on on servant leadership. She was the turnaround CEO for Louisiana's Popeye's Kitchen, uh, Popeye's Popeye's, Louisiana's Kitchen, the public company. She's now done that at a couple of other companies. You read her book, you'd be like, I'm never going to be that hard-drilling boss again. I'm going to follow her way because nobody else could have turned around the company except for her. Um, And I've done that in my, I've done that in my, in my same place and my companies, and it fits very well with especially faith-based leaders, those that have a strong moral compass that go, gosh, this is how I want to lead, but I kind of get pulled a different direction because I want to make money and that's okay. But if you actually love people the right way, lead them as a true servant, I guarantee you'll find the highest confidence of being able to actually hit your goals of any other leadership style.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think of two women leaders that I worked for and women, men doesn't matter because- they would have still been the top two and they just yeah. happened to be women. Um, MJ Shooty taught me, you know, it, it was every Tuesday we would meet. And I, I remember that Tuesdays with Maury, my mother gave me that book a long time ago. And now I got Tuesdays with MJ every week. And <laughs> by the end of my three years working with her, I went to the next company and had to let a guy go. And he was like, look, I'm on the 19th hole of my golf of my career. And yeah. at the end, I worked with him so closely that I finally had to let him go. And he, and my son was four at the time. And he brought in two massive bins full of Legos because we'd created such a relationship. He was like, Chad, thank you. Now I get to sell my house. I get to move out to the middle of the country. You've shown me that the, to execute at the caliber that they, that people need to in today's world, I, I'm not interested in learning that. So he was like, thank you for being a high achiever and, and also being an ethical leader at the same time. Yeah. I'm really, it sounds like
2: that you were very transparent with him, which is a thing that's really hard for, I think a lot of people to do both to show, Hey, here's where I'm weak. Here's where I need help. But also here's tough discussions that like healthy conflict is a good thing. It also means we can have less conflict later. Like let's Let's have discussions. Let's bring up the topics and, and decide where we'd like to go from there. And a lot of like, that's, everybody would like to be treated that way. I mean, I've had to let people go and it should, it's never been a surprise to anybody. I mean, in the last 10 years beforehand, it would have been.
1: Yeah. Right. Back in the day, it maybe was, but so let's talk mentors a little bit. You mentioned you'd only read one and a half books and for the, for the audience, what's the name of that book again? Servant
2: Leadership. Well, it's a book about servant leadership. Uh, Was it Dare to Serve by Cheryl Backhelder? Um, The kind of half a book that's that's not quite there, but still really good is Joel Manby wrote a book about called Love Works. It kind of takes 1 Corinthians 13 and defines what love would look like and, and should look like in a work perspective. And it's good. It's just not as much results focus as Cheryl's book is.
1: Got it. Okay, love it. So talk to me about Reggie Campbell, Reggie Bradford. You've, you've obviously had some amazing mentors in your life. Um, how has that been? You know, you read the books. What, how is mentorship different?
2: Oh, uh, books are good. Um, in their case, both of those gentlemen in very different ways, um, brought me me into very transparent, very personal parts of their lives. Reggie Campbell was much more faith-based and kind of everything he'd moved on from business. I saw a lot of his business decisions before. Reggie Bradford brought me in to kind of shadow him at a company we ended up selling to Oracle and um, brought me into meetings. Maybe I shouldn't have been in with some of the venture capital and private equity people at the times. Um, But I got to see every, I got to see difficult discussions with his wife, his kids, he would bring in the office. And so from a mentorship perspective, they, neither one of them, even when Reggie Bradford, I worked for him, he, he wasn't my friend. His, go- his goal as, as he moved on, as he, he passed away a few years ago, he goes, my goal when, when you were working for me was to duplicate myself. And he was like, you needed to see the good, bad, and the ugly of me. And I saw a lot of the good and a lot of the ugly. And um, I understood what it looked like actually to make difficult decisions, because as a leader, you have to do that. And, um, and, and they were also very structured in different ways um so the one had a formal program and the other one is basically the structure is I expose you to everything including my emails like there's nothing I'll hide from you and you can ask me any question and then he put time in the calendar on a weekly basis for me to ask those questions um and so that that's been hugely impactful for me and especially as I look at at why did they make the choice to kind of step in a mentorship role and what should I look for when I when I decide to mentor somebody else
1: yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking for our listeners, somebody who's an up and comer in their company. Um, did you ask these folks, Hey, would you mentor me? Or did they tap you on the shoulder? How did that relationship start?
2: A little of both. Um, Reggie Bradford, uh, a phone call from another CEO introduced me. And so uh, he made me an offer for a job. Um, and then after about a month, um, he asked if, if that kind if that kind of, relationship could change a little bit i also started uh serving with his kids at church and so we had a a a personal thing that was starting as well um so in that case he kind of he kind of made the lead on reggie campbell he um he started a group called radical mentoring i had actually turned him down he asked me to help him uh if i would be in one of his mentoring groups not just through within radical mentoring twice and um i said no stupidly and um I realized he was coming to me asking about some bottlenecks in this organization he was growing. Um, And I realized, wow, this man who has been immaculately successful work-wise has asked me to join his personal group twice. I said no to. I don't know fully what a humble heart looks like, but I know he has way more of it than I do. And so then I sheepishly came to him and said, can I apply for your next group? And he was like, you can, but you still have to fill out the application now. (laughs) So he did, he did, he made me fill out like the freaking three page application and write an obituary of myself as well Wow! Wow! as part of it. I
1: love that one. Yeah. yeah. That one. So I
2: still had to apply. I don't know if he would have approved me just for if, without it, but, um, but it kind of worked different ways. So,
1: well, that's, that's huge. Cause living a better story. We just, we just launched the foundation recently. We've held two executive retreats. We're now calling intensive because they're 12 hour days, four days in a row. Yeah podcasts have been live for this most of this year and I don't have a mentor and so you've just given me a, a light bulb that says I better get a mentor in this side of the
2: house I I couldn't imagine going through difficult things without a mentor. I mean I've got a work thing going on I don't have to say I have a mentor because we're trying to do something that in some way really hasn't ever been done before but it's like I called like 10 to 12 people just personal calls me and like hey Amanda Chad gave me your cell phone you're in a different industry I'm not competing can I talk about your budget and what's happened in the last three years? It's been, and a lot of people opened their doors and, uh, and took some time and gave me transparent insights to, uh, to what was going on. And I think I have a little bit more wisdom right now with, uh, than what I'm trying to tackle, but uh, I, I'd love to have somebody that would walk alongside with me. So. <laughs> yeah, love
1: it. Well, that's huge. Um, if you, you know, I think I know the answer and I think our listeners might already know the answer, but I'm going to humor you with the question anyway. What's the thing you would tell your 20-year-old self if you could go back?
2: Um if I could tell myself one thing that I need, I, I would need to I should look for the time wasters in my laugh, I was like the time wasters in my life and just find any way possible to kill them. I mean, I'm big on downtime, intentional downtime, rest is important, but I wasted my so many hours and collective years on stupid things that I knew were stupid at the time, some cases just wrong decisions. And gosh, I wish I had that time back. And it's like, and a lot of it was, I mean, things that I didn't learn from either. It was just like time gone.
1: Wow. Well, I heard someone put it easy. You draw a list, hell yes, hell no. And it's either on one of those columns. It's not in the middle. I've heard other people say yeses are great, noes are okay, maybes will kill you in the sales world. Yeah. It's the same thing when it comes to life, right? Is it either a yes or a no and just draw it out and delete yeah. the ones that are the no's?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does this help me on anything that I really care about? Like, Hey, like rest is important. Take rest. You want to go hang out on a hammock for six hours. You've given me that a, a hammock by a Creek. I'm a lot happier, but I'll still take the hammock because I need that downtime, but that's different than a lot of other things I've wasted yeah, time on. That's right.
1: Well, last question for you. And that is what role does faith play in your life and in all that you've done? Uh,
2: um, I mean, it, it, it drives my choices on a day-to-day and weekly basis. And so my, my wife and I are, are firm followers of Jesus. And we believe that, I mean, not just we're stewards of the money we've been blessed with, but we're stewards of the time and the skills. And so um, we, we literally end up having a, just as a lot of people put together, a budget for money we put together a budget on our time and our skills, and so that helps drive. Hey, how do we raise our son? Where do we invest our time in community groups? Do I need to take quiet times? Um, how much time do I take mentoring others? And so that's that's a pretty big um, driver and kind of where faith comes in. And in some cases, I like I didn't even fully realize it until I, got, I mentioned Reggie Campbell had, uh, had passed and. Um, when he, uh, as he, as he, we knew he was passing for the last couple of months, and a number of us saw a to-do list on his whiteboard in his office, and so we figured, you know, we'll use it. This is a list of things you've never got to or things you want to accomplish. No, that was the list he made so that he finished strong. Wow. And we're like, ooh, maybe I'm not thinking about this steward thing quite as involved as I should, because most of us are like, I'm going to let my foot off the gas at some point. And here's somebody he knew his foot was being taken off.
1: Yeah. And he was still driving fast. Yep. Wow. That's neat. It reminds me of, I went on this race course in LA and it was a Ferrari. And there was a guy in the front seat and he, you know, we as drivers tend to take our foot off the gas far before the cone. And he goes, no, 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 you <laughs> push. I'm not, I have a brake over here. I'm not going to let you hit the wall. Yeah, yeah. And so by the, by the third time around on six laps, you're flooring it all the way to the wall. Cause you know, yeah. he's there. And that's, it reminds me what you just said of going hard all the way to the orange cone. That's, that's neat. Cause it is easy to say, Hey, if I can just get to retirement and then relax, don't worry, you'll have enough downtime. You can relax for a week, a month, over a year, but you gotta, you gotta do things for the kingdom that are, that need to be on your list.
2: Yeah, I, well, and, and it's like and, and for when you have a, a faith based kingdom mindset, you will get bored doing other things. I mean, we, we took a company public. We, you know, that gave two years of handcuffs, sold the company three years, uh, you know, uh, two, uh, a couple years later, um, got three more years of handcuffs. I didn't show up to the office for like, uh, you know, almost 60 days. Took a couple of sales calls I had to do. It was the most and I wasn't even I didn't even have faith at that time. And I got bored. So I was a lot younger then. I I couldn't imagine, and now having had gentlemen walk walk alongside me that are many years uh, down the line, I'm like, yeah, I, I I see what it looks like. And it's like, by all means, you want to golf, golf. You want to go hiking, go ho- hiking. I'd love to hike the Appalachian Trail. I'll probably do it with my boy at some point when he's older. But that doesn't mean I can't, I, you know, I I can't be and shouldn't be looking at you know life as a stewardship.
1: Do you have a daily routine? Um, and I ask as a loaded question, because we just we're launching this app called 77 Pray. And okay. it, it's fashioned after 75 Hard, which is a mental toughness app that I did. 75 okay. days, two workouts a day, 45 minutes each. Ooh. Drink a gallon of water. No, no alcohol for 75 days. Like there's a, It's a very strict yep. routine, but it missed the spiritual toughness piece. So I created, you know, you pray in the morning, you read a Bible verse and it's all automated. It's just going to come to your inbox. It just pops up yeah. read the verse, then, then act. So act is invite someone else to the app so that they can learn how to pray on a daily basis yeah. and then pray before you go to bed. Those are the core kind of three pieces, pray, read the Bible and act and rinse and repeat on a daily yeah. basis. Is there anything else? Cause I feel like you've, you know, your mentors probably gave you something. Am I missing something in that equation?
2: Um, I mean, for me, there's a, I mean, physical is a huge part of that for me as well. Um, for nothing else, it's what often, it's, for me, it's what gets me out of, the, out of bed in the morning. I, I do tend to do my quiet times in the morning. Um, but in most cases, it's after, it's after my 5.30 workout. And frankly, if uh, Iron Tribe Fitness was open at 4.30 and had a 4.30 workout, I'd rather that happen cause I'm up early. I'm just not fully coherent yet, but I can go work out. Um, but my quiet times are different if I haven't, uh, haven't worked out. And so, um, and the other thing is like, I, I do give myself a little bit of uh, a little bit of slack. Like I, I really respect people that every, he said 75 days, you did the, you know, two workouts a day, man, I respect that like crazy. It was insane. Yeah. Well, it's kind of things like I, I found when I tried doing like hey i need a a quiet time every day every day i tend to i tend to fail and then i use that as excuses for myself but if i shoot for five a day or sorry five a week i can do five a week that still gives me two days to slack off and i'm actually much more likely to get seven out of seven days when when i when
1: i only have yeah that's good feedback because part of the question in the beta is is it editable and so most activities are, if you add a second, if you add an activity of workout at five 30, that's on your daily routine. Right. But what you're telling me is I should probably make all of the items editable because if someone wants to make it
2: five a week instead of seven a week, that's important. And it depends on the personality. I know some people they're like doing something every day is much better for them. At least where I'm at with a young kid, you know, and, you know, looking at, you know, growing family business, like it is really hard for me every day to get up I and mean, we have elder care things going on so it's like there might be a thing where it's like somebody in the family didn't, in the household didn't sleep at all last night so that workout's a lot harder to get up for then, you know so is quiet time really going to happen then Ooh, and then of course you go well i'll get quiet time in the afternoon that that doesn't happen for me it's like so the day's off and i just as as a man anyways i, I find that you know I, I hear this from women as well but i find men a little bit more have have a a, a higher sensitivity to the shame trigger and so, man, if I was supposed to do something and and I didn't I didn't do it today, yeah, makes it makes it harder like for me to do, do it tomorrow. eighty
1: percent, it so it's better to set it up right in the first place.
2: Yeah, and then I'm still I'm still going to try for seven a day, or, or But that's why the small group stuff helps. Just even hearing from you, you did two workouts a day for seventy five days. All right, I can do this. That's so like and by the way, one's inside and one's outside. So day
1: three, it snowed twelve inches in Colorado. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Here we
2: go. (laughs) I I just got introduced to to a new gentleman in my company. My company uh, invited me to uh, to a group uh, that works out in the morning called F3. And while I do have my own gym, they're gonna do a uh, they're gonna do the Murph workout uh, once a month. And I'm like, hey, I didn't, didn't do the first workout with them, but I've done a Murph before. And I'm like, I might join you for future Mur- uh, future months. That could be fun. <laughs> and I'm only because other people are doing it. So I'll, I'll get involved with other people trying something hard. Wow. Well, Kurt,
1: it's been fabulous talking with you. Uh, Kurt Euler, CMO of Showcase IDX, which is a subsidiary of EXP World Holdings. Um, amazing conversation. You know, your energy and go, you know, stick-to-itiveness. I can just sense through the conversation and and the, the role that faith plays. I think that's just a common thread that I'm hearing from a lot of people, everybody that I have on the podcast. It's, I think what's under the hood of a lot of successful people, most successful people is, is a belief in something that's bigger than themselves. And it's refreshing that we're able to share that on the Living a Better Story podcast. So thanks. For-
2: Thank you for having me today,
0: Chad.
1: Yeah, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll catch you on the next Living Better Story podcast. Signing out.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Living a Better Story. We hope that today's show has inspired you to cultivate a better understanding of yourself so you can discover your God-given purpose and start living a better story. For the show notes, visit livingabetterstory.org forward slash podcast, where you can also find other helpful resources. Connect with us and join us again next time for another purposeful show.